Hello and welcome to 90% Hits, a podcast about the number one singles in Australia throughout the 90s. I'm Danny Yao and with me as usual is Tim Coyle. Ich bin ein Podcaster. <laughs> Casey Atkins. <laughs> Hello. And down the line from the Gold Coast, Tim Byron. Ahoy hoy. Ahoy hoy to you too, Tim Byron. Uh, we are going to head into 19, the end of 1991 and into 1992 this week. We'll be talking about five more number one singles. And this period will cover the 9th of November and take us through to well, April, the 4th of April, 1992. So okay. quite a big period of time and quite a lot to talk about, I think, for some of these artists. So let's get right into it. This is the number one song from the 9th of November, 1991. For three weeks, it's Right Said Fred, I'm Too Sexy. I'm too sexy for my love, too sexy for my love, love's going to leave me. Said Fred with I'm Too Sexy. And but just before we go around the room, I just want to say one thing about my encounter with this song is that I didn't actually listen to it this week. Oh I did. <sighs> well then Casey Atkins, why don't we start with you then? What do you, what does I'm Too Sexy by Right Said Fred mean to you? Yeah, and you know what I was talking a, a few weeks ago, I think, about the songs that you're listening to on your iPhone, and in my case on my iPhone and on the train and worrying about it popping up and other people seeing what you're listening to. It's really clear with this on the audio yeah, file. It's right, said Fred, like really big on your screen. <laughs> big chunk <laughs> font. I, I, yeah. I, I actually worried about that. Yeah. Um, I, I remember it extremely well. Did I like it? Probably not. I think by now I'm getting a little bit more of a clue about what I like in music and I'm, I'm liking things on their own merits and, and starting to have a bit more of an idea about and, and seek out music and this type of music wasn't really speaking to me. I mean, we saw last week with um, Melissa dance music really starting to hit the top of the, the chart. This is a bit more of that and I was starting to get my a bit of an anti-dance music thing happening. You remember it though? Oh, absolutely. Oh, no, of course. Who could, who could yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I don't I don't think I liked it. I at least probably, even if I did like a little bit, I, I would be certain that I pretended not to like it. I, I remember not knowing what Milan was <laughs> and having to ask. Um, but, um, but yeah, that's kind of my memory. These, uh, now listening to it, I mean, what do you, what do you say when you listen to a song like this 20 years later? It's just, a 
it's a novelty joke song, really. What what else can be said? Apart from the fact that when you look at the clip and you you see how how campy it is and wonder how you reacted to that as a 11 or whatever year old. Tim Byron, what about you? Well, yeah, like it's interesting Casey just sort of brought it up, like wondering about what he thought about it as an 11-year-old kid with how campy it was. Because I, I think I... I remember simultaneously kind of feeling weirded out by the song, like feeling uncomfortable with it, like there was something wrong about it and not really being sure what it was. But at the same time, I also found it quite catchy and funny and I liked it. And so I think basically at the time, I don't think I was ever quite sure whether they were playing it for laughs or not, because I wasn't sort of enough of a person who knew enough stuff about um, that kind of music and about like culture in general to sort of know whether they were... um, taking the piss or not because I at, the, at that point I could imagine that it would be you know that there are lots of women who find bald-headed men who wear like fishnet shirt sexy like that was a possibility <laughs> to me because <laughs> I didn't know any better because I was nine so well, um so at the time I was like I wasn't sure whether they were playing or laughs I thought maybe they were but I wasn't sure so that was the thing I remember about the song like not being sure and yeah they're playing it for laughs <laughs> I know that as an adult it's really really obvious yeah uh, Tim Coyle, about you? Well, I think as Casey alluded to, it's one of those novelty songs in the vein of Chewy Chewy or Yummy Yummy that kids love, and uh, I really enjoyed it. I loved it when the clip came on. It seemed absurdly funny to me. It was my introduction to the word tush. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> really? Yep, which, there you go, Brad said Fred, educating me <laughs> with my with my words. Probably yeah, educating you on more than you thought. Well, exactly. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, just things seeping in subconsciously uh, with some of the stuff they, they were doing. Look, I, I really enjoyed it at the time it, and just found it, found it funny and, uh, as I said, the novelty song thing. And it was interesting recently uh, visiting my my nine-year-old nephew who had been listening to Gangnam Style nonstop mm. and kind of busting out the dance and screaming, hey, sexy lady, at the top of his voice out the window <laughs> at female passers-by when we were in a car <laughs> with And I think it's it was a similar thing. Excuse me, a similar thing for uh, a, a lot of kids with this song at the time that you, you picked up on the I'm too sexy bit and some of the dancing, even though I wasn't yelling stuff out of car windows <laughs> at, at women at the time uh, with this song. At the but, time. At the time. <laughs> since, since then. Every day since. Yeah. No, 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 I've got my point of it, but... <laughs> But, yeah, it's, it's one of those songs that it had that kind of hook that kids would pick up on, and I did it in a pretty big way. I think this song is great. It's just great. It's just fun. I mean, I said I didn't listen to it again this week, but I've listened to it in recent years and just, like, developed a new appreciation for it in terms of just just being exactly what it wants to be. Yeah. It's just fun. Yeah, yeah. It's silly. The, the Like, I find it a joy to listen to. I don't listen to it every day. I don't listen to it every year. But it's just like, <laughs> it comes on the radio and I'm like, yeah, this is like, I don't know, maybe Gangnam Style is an interesting comparison. And it's actually probably a fairly a fairly decent reference point, actually. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, the lyrics are fun. You know, it's completely silly, but it's fun. It works. It doesn't sound s- 
stupid. They're not filling. There's not filler nonsense. He's, it is filler nonsense. But, I'm just asking yeah. for my cat. What do you think about well, that? But you know, oh, no, hat. What do you think about that? But you know, they deliberately. Yeah, but but it's funny and silly that he's too sexy for his hat because it's yes. like, yeah. Well, why are you wearing one then? Because <laughs> <laughs> he's bald. <laughs> <laughs> A bit of a a question, because the song is very transparently satirical Mm. in the way it's talking about the fashion industry. Mm. Uh, How well do we think it works? Well, I mean, like, it's, well, it's that song that they always, um, like, if, if there's some woman walking down a catwalk somewhere, like, you know, half the time a commercial TV station is going to use this song as, like, as the background music. Yes, that's what I love about that So, song. therefore, does it work or doesn't it work? I think, I think it does work because people have bought in, the people yeah. that were satirising have bought into it. Yeah. It's the other thing I like about this song that I was going to bring up, it's that it falls into this category of songs that, maybe 1999 by Prince Falls in Two, which is a song that just owns that one thing, which is there's no other fashion catwalk song. You know, they just met, they just yeah. came out with it and they just, it's just owned it forever. Well, Surely the, they uh, use this song a lot in Zoolander, right? Oh, I'm not sure. Uh, not as much as they used Oh Yeah by Yellow. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the other one that's used is, I think, um, George Michael's, too funky, which had uh, a catwalk and a clip. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Clip. Yeah, but that's the thing, right? It's like 1999, which is just it's just written for mm-hmm. that one situation. I think it's a pretty loving kind of satire, yeah. rather than like a really hard edge kind of satire. Yeah. Obviously, yes, definitely. And yeah, it's it's so loving. I think it's just like it's so affectionate to the silliness of the fashion scene, and and also there's something in it when you look at the clip and you look at these these guys like. <laughs> They're not sexy, right? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I don't, certainly not to me. But it, that, that, that's part of it, that there's these, you know, bald guys. Let's just say they're no CC to Bill. What? <laughs> Oi. <laughs> they're no going to call them. <laughs> no, they're certainly not. No. The thing with this song is is the modern update from, like, a couple of years ago, um, Sexy and I Know It by LMFAO. Mm. Since then, they would start using that song instead of I'm Too Sexy when women walk down catwalks to try and, like, you know, to make fun of them. Well, it's interesting you say that because the other thing I think about with this song is that it doesn't date. It dates. Yeah, well, it dates. I, I was, yeah, what like, are you talking about? But, like, it just sounds as much like a Euro Trash song that comes out today than a Euro Trash song that came What's out. What's the point of Euro Trash? <laughs> 20 years ago. I guess, I mean. I, I don't know. I think it sounds pretty 1991, 92 yeah. to me. Yeah, and when you when you watch the clip, definitely that sort of oh, the clip is, yeah. cements it as well. Um, I guess the the other thing and the, the usual question is, what else do we know about <laughs> think about Right Said Fred? But what I what I wanted to to bring up and ask Danny if he remembered this, but um, we got thrown at um, a music trivia night a couple of months ago on a Right Said Fred question. Um, I don't know. Uh, Tim Coyle, if you were there, I don't think I was there. Um, Because the question was, what was Right Said Fred's first number one single in the UK? Dippy Dippy. That's it. Everyone put down I'm Too Sexy. Brian Adams kept them Ah. the number one slot. (laughs) So he did one big thing. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, and and you're right, Tim Byron, Deeply Dippy uh, got to number one in the UK where I'm Too Sexy did not. They weren't really the, the one-hit wonder novelty act in the UK like they were here. They had a bit of a career going on. Well, they had a yeah. number of albums. They released eight albums. Yeah. 
which I was amazed to read today. <laughs> and, but to most people that you'd speak to in Australia, they wouldn't. Like, I, I remembered the follow-up single to this, which was Don't Talk, Just Kiss. I remember that being a single, but yeah. I certainly don't give them any sort of credence of, of having any longevity or career. The other thing, having backpacked throughout Europe, the thing that I've realised about songs like this is that it's great where English is a second language <laughs> because people love the songs and they don't have to they, – they can understand enough of English to sing along to it. <laughs> which is a problem I think Randy Newman sort of faced when he tried to. It's also, it features those words that are some of the first English words oh, people yeah. learn. Yeah. You learn sexy. Yeah, to, say to, to say to women or men in a club. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah. I don't know. You, yeah, you did. No, you didn't. <laughs> well, oh, oh, the other thing that I wanted to mention was something else that I didn't realise until listening to it again this week is that they rip off the Jimi Hendrix riff in the song. Third Stone from the Sun. <laughs> the third Stone from the Sun riff. That it never, it was like this This song and my, and, you know, this song coming and going was well pre um, the... Casey Atkins, Jimi Hendrix, Obsession of 1996. <laughs> so it, it went over my head at the time until this week listening to it going, nah, you didn't, did you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you crazy kids. The other thing I think about this song, um, listening to it, how incredibly good a pop single it is. Like it's just there's a there's a hook every seven seconds in that kind of way. Like there's I, I listen to it and it's just, it's just so well constructed as a novelty pop song that it sort of seems like, it should have gone to number one and it was something of a crime that it didn't in the UK because it was just that well-constructed and made. I, I just totally agree with you there. I just think for what it's trying to do, it just hits it so on the head. And we've talked about Ice Ice Baby. We've talked about You Can't Touch This. And I think this is, of all the novelty number ones we've talked about so far, the most joyous. Well, if there's nothing else, let's move on to the second song we're going to talk about tonight. This song was number one for eight weeks all up, the last five weeks of 1991, and then three weeks into 1992. And this is Black and White by Michael Jackson. Tim Coyle, why don't we start with you? Okay, so in 1991, Michael Jackson was my sister's favourite artist, so by default Michael Jackson was a figure of, of mockery for me. <laughs> and yeah, I, I wasn't particularly into him, mainly because he was my sister's favourite artist. How and unfortunate for you. Yeah, I know. Well, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that at some point in this discussion. So there was a huge buzz about this song when it came out, and I think I was one of those people who watched its, um, its premiere in Australia, and 
it was a it was a big to do. The film clip was very innovative in a lot of ways and was also controversial in in others. And well, just for those who don't know who are listening, Channel Nine did a mm. half hour of not one hour special hosted by Molly Meldrum yeah. to premiere this film clip. Yeah, oh, I don't remember that. Yeah, oh, but really? Look, yeah. Michael Jackson. It's difficult to convey just how big he was at the time. Mm. and that he was just a category all of his own. And, yeah, I, I, I think I was unfortunate insofar as I came of age with Bad and Dangerous instead of Thriller, which for me is just a vastly superior album and never really got into Michael Jackson at that point and combined with, yes, my sister loving him and also the film clip having Macaulay Culkin in it, Man, I hated that cracker. <laughs> See, you're just doing that thing that he said not to, which is he doesn't want to spend his life being a car. Yeah. <laughs> well, I thought, but yeah, at the time, didn't love it. But I will say this week, that odd little intro that you get on the album that mm. has the father beating on the door, I'm like, oh, really? And that, but then that riff kicks in, I'm like, oh. Wow! Yeah, it's just it's it's great. It's so uplifting, and yeah, the, the the lyrics are kind of a little all over the shop and a little nonsense at times. But I, I enjoyed it so much listening to it this week, and I've become such a huge fan of Michael Jackson since I've kind of outgrown petty sibling squabbling. What about you, Casey? Yeah, kind of similar. Although I do remember liking this a lot at the time. We'll probably talk about the video clip to this quite a lot. It was, it was a, a big deal, a big part of the song. And it was the, probably the first time I'd ever seen that, um, you know, the thing in the outro with the morphing of the faces from one to, yeah. to, to the next. And that was like, wow, that's amazing. Um, I don't know if I was a big Michael Jackson fan then, but I definitely liked this song a lot. I think I, I came even to the earlier albums. So, so thriller and bad much later in life than this but and to me this was just a, a single from someone who i knew was a, a really big star but just just another song um but yeah I, I liked it a lot and again listening to it this week quite amazing really the production is spotless he does a lot of his michael jackson things in it no, which and and everybody knows what I mean when I say that. Like Shum-o. there's there's shamans in it, and there's you know there's all of that 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 he just kind of throws in because he's Michael Jackson, and that's that's what he does in songs. So he does it in this one too. Um, but it works, and I I enjoyed it a lot. I think it's a I think it's a really really solid great song. Tim Byron, what about you? Well, yeah, like this is the first song I remember being incredibly hugely hyped. Like I remember, like it was the first song that gave like kids in school in the schoolyard like a certain cachet for like owning the song or owning the like the the album. Like I remember, like when we came back from Christmas holidays that year, like if your parents had got you Dangerous for Christmas, you were cool. Like, I, I I really remember that in the schoolyard, and that's it's the first one that we talked about that I remember being that big that like it, that we like you know nine year olds cared about it. And so yeah, like I had this, I got the single for Christmas. And um, I loved this song. I thought it was incredible. And um, yeah, the video was great with the morphing. Now I listen to it and yeah, it's, I reckon it's still one of his best songs. I think um, Dangerous is a pretty up and down album, but like Black or White is such a, like, it's such a catchy song. It's, it's another song that's got the hook every seven seconds. There's lots of cool things going on in the, in the instrumentation and in the sound of it. And um, yeah, Macaulay Culkin is a surprisingly great rapper. <laughs> <laughs> do, do we know who the actual rapper is? Uh, I looked it up and I forget his name. I think it was LBT. Or- oh, that's yeah, right. LBT. Who yeah. sounds like a, 
sandwich, sandwich with <laughs> emphasis on the wrong ingredient. <laughs> well, I guess I, I I just want to say as well that yeah, it's a fantastic song, and the hype that thirty minute special. I just remember waiting to see it. They talked about the morphing technology before they showed the clip. Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't know if I'd even put it in my top 20 Michael Jackson songs, but it's still a pretty fantastic track. It's just like, yeah, it's just a really bright spark on that album in particular. The album cover was, I remember even at the time thinking it was hilarious. <laughs> it was just like, you know. And then just the overblown productionness of it, which at that time before I had any sort of real faculties about that being uncool, uh, yeah, which is great. And I guess, you know, we all mentioned that film clip. There's the intro, is it the guy from Cheers, George Went? Went, yeah. Yeah, being blown out of the house <laughs> out of seat. and then landing in the desert <laughs> uh, where the film clip starts, which is amazing. Uh, him turning to a panther at the end. Michael Jackson's heading to a panther. Yeah. yeah. And then doing the Billie Jean dance. Did you watch yeah, the 10-minute version? Yeah. It has, well, that's yeah, why it's the half hour special. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Which caused a great deal of controversy in the US. Oh, really? Yeah, it did. Everything causes controversy in the US. Yeah, basically that he smashed up a car and stuff. And he smashed up a car that said something like KKK. Yeah, exactly. Whilst being under the influence of being a black man. Yeah, you know, that causes, like in Alabama, that would have sent them crazy. So, Ah. sorry, folks in Alabama who are listening. (laughs) Well, which brings us to the point of this song, which is how effective do you think it is as a song about anti racism? I think to a degree, yes. And I think part of that was at the time, people were ready to hear that message. And the thing is, it was not very long after that that the LA riots happened and then people were not ready to hear it. So, which, yeah, that's kind of, there's a tragic element to it in that way. But as as Danny says, when being pitched at kids, yeah, it was quite effective in getting that message across. You look at those lyrics as an adult, it's kind of like, a lot of them don't make sense. And a lot of the, the references to gang culture are quite dated. <laughs> yes, I agree. Yeah, I think it really was my first real introduction, apart from maybe another day in paradise of, like, social <laughs> issues. And like, it was just like, you know, I went to a very sort of, sort of racially diverse school and the end of that film with the morphine thing with all the faces, it just kind of felt mm. like... Yeah, there was something very, very special about that for me. That just uh, for those of us who watched the clip this week, did we recognise Tyra Banks as one of the people in the morphing sequence? Oh, no. 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 There you no. go. The thing about the video clip that I think is super effective at that kind of anti-racism thing is just everyone, like, in their sort of national costumes, like, from here, there and mm. everywhere, dancing to the music. And it's like everyone can hear the music and dance to it and, and can share that and can sort of have something in common, at least, that they like Michael Jackson, which is kind of true because he's huge everywhere. Like, yeah. he's one of the people who's yeah. huge in, in Asia and are huge in, like, South America and Africa and Europe and, and America and here. Like, he really is actually huge everywhere. You're, that's why you're always signed Mariah Carey. Because she'll sell almost nothing in the US when her reputation is shot, but she'll sell you millions of records in South America and Asia and mm, stuff, where yeah, she's still yeah. famous. So you make your money back many, many times over. But what else to say about Michael Jackson? Where was the point when you realised that Michael Jackson was ridiculous and you could not take him seriously anymore? <laughs> it wasn't too far after Dangerous for me. <laughs> I just want to say, 
just now when you brought that up. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> um, People don't I mean, take him seriously. <laughs> <laughs> and even looking back in, in retrospect, even at about this point, you can sort of see a little bit of that. He already had a reputation. I mean, the Wacko Jacko tag had already yeah. stuck yeah, yeah. by that point. But I think for me, the, the statue down the Thames was. Yeah, for, for me, it was that and it was. Um, uh, Jarvis Cocker at the Brit Awards. <laughs> but, yeah, that is that is definitely a big moment. The good things I said about black and white that I got when I was a kid from this song, you know, and as, as Tim Byron said, you know, the multiculturalism and, and the inclusiveness of the film clip and trying to make sure every race gets a, gets a chance and all that stuff just turned very sour very quickly by Heal the World and Earth Song <laughs> and... The Invincible record, so yeah. Well, he'll, uh, well yeah. Invincible is a, is a real uh, and like an awesome example of um, if he hadn't lost it by then, <laughs> he'd certainly lost it now. Yeah. Like Invin- Invincible is the real. But the, the, there's also the thing of on Dangerous and also Bad trying to change his image into something badass. <laughs> and I'm just curious as to how effective you guys thought that was because yeah, I didn't find that effective at all. Like <laughs> he's Mickey Mouse, you know. But but Tim Byron, <laughs> earlier in a podcast, you said that vanilla ice was dangerous because it was dark and it was in a warehouse. <laughs> <laughs> we don't get to talk about Michael Jackson again, do we? No, this is his only number yeah. one of the '90s. So where were you when you heard that Michael Jackson died? I was going to ask the exact same question. I was on parental leave after my son Jarvis, speaking of Jarvis, had been, uh, was born and I just logged into maybe Facebook and saw it and the, f- the first thing I did was call, I called my wife. I never would have called her at that time so she could answer the phone like, what's up? Michael Jackson died. Oh my God! Like, it was just, <laughs> you know, and it was no matter how big a fan you are of Michael Jackson, what you think about Michael Jackson... It was massive news to anyone. Yes. But, yeah, so I remember I was, I was at home just after Jarvis was born with him. Tim Byron, what about you? I actually don't remember it. Wow. You know he's dead, right? <laughs> <laughs> he's dead? <laughs> he's, he's, hanging out, he's hanging out with Elvis in a truck stop in Tennessee. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I guess, like, I would have read about it on Facebook when it happened. I think... Maybe, like, when it happened, I was sort of towards the end of my PhD, and so I wasn't paying as much attention to things as I otherwise would, maybe. Wow, okay. Tim Coyle? Yeah, I was still paying my dues working in retail at this point and had popped out to get a cup of coffee and a sandwich at a cafe, and they had a TV in there and were playing Star News, and it was Uh the the big scrolling thing along the bottom just saying Michael Jackson has died. I was just kind of jaw kind of hitting the floor at at that point, and, yeah, took me about an hour to get that coffee and sandwich (laughs) (laughs) to pull jaw off the floor and pull myself together and order it. Mm. Danny? Well, I was living in London at the time, and I was actually meeting up with a friend of most of ours, a girl called Kelly Lane, who came to visit. And so we found out together we were in a pub in Soho with other friends. And I clearly remember walking to this pub quite late and going, I feel like there's people around us talking about Michael Jackson. Mm. Like you could hear other people talking about Michael Jackson. Like you just heard that name mentioned and then another table would say it and then people were checking their phones. And then I got a text from my housemates who were at Glastonbury. Everyone Uh was getting there and camping, phone reception's bad, rumours always happen on first night, according to them. They're like, 
oh, Radiohead are doing a secret show or The Strokes are going to do a secret gig at the campsite tonight. There's always rumours that go around first night of Glastonbury. And my housemate Jay basically went, rumour. This is the rumour. This is the rumour that's getting around Glastonbury this year. And it got so loud at Glastonbury in terms of the chatter that he actually texted me and said, dude, can you check if Michael Jackson died? Yeah. And so that was the phone That was the thing that prompted me to go into my phone and look it up and clearly I'm going, oh, my God. Um, I went home that night. My housemates were in Glastonbury, so I was on my own. So I opened all the windows and just put on a couple of Michael Jackson songs with a beer and just, like, <laughs> let it sort of go out. And the bittersweet thing for me as well was – I had tickets to show number eight on oh, those shows. No way. And I had I knew a lot of people with tickets because he was doing, you know, four hundred and seventy-five shows. <laughs> Everyone got a ticket. And there was a lot of talk at work and with just people that I knew around of whether to get the refund. Uh, or just keep it as just keep the ticket. Because yeah. it wasn't a terribly expensive ticket, it was like maybe a hundred bucks Australian, $120 Australian and going. Yeah, it was a concert ticket. Yeah. But yeah, just going well, this is our last memory of Michael. I kind of just went, I'm not just giving $120 to Live Nation for any reason. <laughs> um, Quickly, if if we're not talking about Michael Jackson again, uh, what are people's favourite Michael Jackson songs? Um, compared to how I was in 1991 and two, I've grown to really love his music. Mm-hmm. The first couple of solo records are... Amazing, you know, off the wall and thriller. And there's so many great songs leading up to about history. I love what he stood for up till around then. Um, and I love the Jackson Fire stuff that he did. Like, he's just got such a beautiful story. He's just ripe for biopic material. You know, he's just the scope of his story. So, I, and if I had to choose a favorite song, if I went for a rock one, it'd be uh, The Way You Made Me Feel. But I really, really love Man in the Mirror. I just think that's just an amazingly put together song. What about you, Tinko? Uh, me, well, uh, I, I've got to kind of divide this into Jackson 5 and mm. solo work, but two very obvious choices. I Want You Back, which I think is one of the great songs ever mm. in any time period, is just amazing. That song fills with me with so much joy when I hear it. And as a solo artist, Billie Jean, I think, is just an incredible song on every single level. It's just an amazing performance. Tim Byron, what about you? Yeah, for me, it's the way you make me feel. Um, this is a brilliant song. I Want You Back by Jackson 5, like, like Tim said, is, is brilliant as well. Black and White is up there for me as well. Yeah, it was actually, for me, it's a, a toss-up between The Way You Make Me Feel and Man in the Mirror. I would probably go with Man in the Mirror. With also a, um, a call-out to Billy Jane for the guitar solo by Eddie Van Halen, of course. Well, let's move on into 1992. This song was number one for four weeks from January 25, 1992, and this is and Pepper's Let's Talk About Sex. Spinderella cut it up one time. Let's talk about sex, 
Hot Salt and Pepper with Let's Talk About Sex, number one for four weeks from the 25th of January, 1992. Tim Byron, why don't we start with you? What do you think about this song? I mean, at the time, I don't think I actually did want to talk about sex because I was nine, but I must have loved the song because I bought the cat single and I think it was just like a fun pop song that had like a good, I knew it was a good message to it, that it was a good thing to talk about sex if you're someone who was possibly going to have it. That made sense that you'd probably want to talk about it before it happened. And yeah, I um, yeah, wow. loved it at the time. <laughs> you, you, you've, you've gone into a very deep place with this song. Uh, <laughs> Tim Coyle, what about you? Well, uh, I've, spoken before about songs that we used to sing at the back of the bus at school <laughs> and this is one of them much to the chagrin of various bus drivers very different buses <laughs> yeah we, we must have done but th- yeah this is one of those songs that was salt and pepper were quite big i remember from 1991-92 and really popular amongst people in my class I, I probably wasn't as into them as some other people in my year were but I, I enjoyed this song there was a little bit of the they're talking about something taboo and I think that's part of snicker snicker yeah snicker snicker yeah. sing it at the back of the bus and annoy people kind of thing also by this stage I think most of us at school had learned mechanics of sex and the, the whole kids now you know how to do it don't conversation (laughs) so yeah becoming a little bit more aware of that also i think personally the the whole idea of the hormonal apocalypse that was coming in a few years scared me a little bit so (laughs) i I was i was a little bit in denial about things sexual and that would extend for a few years longer so like tim byron it maybe made me a little uneasy as well casey atkins what about you um i remember this being in a similar category to you remember Stuck a DJ that we talked about yeah. a few weeks ago where this was just another one for the girls. I've got this really funny memory of remember our library in primary school had a cassette player with this um, like headphone splitter thing and you could go in on lunchtime and bring your own tape and listen with a, like five or six other people to a cassette that you bought in. And I remember fighting over a bunch of girls because <laughs> they wanted to listen to Let's Talk About Sex and myself and Daniel Gill and a couple of my other mates wanted to listen to the best of the Beach Boys. <laughs> so that gives you a little bit of an idea about where I was at this point. It wasn't really at Let's Talk About Sex. Um, but did you want to listen to Little Honda? Hey. First gear. You had fun, fun, fun till they took the tape glitter away. <laughs> yeah, indeed. <laughs> That, that's my memory of it from the time that was just kind of another song for the girls. Now, I actually really enjoy it as a um, as what it is for its time as a um, example of the genre. I actually think Salt and Pepper are really, really good at what they do. Um, and I enjoy the hell out of it listening to it this, um, this week. I freaking love this song. Yeah. <laughs> it is just a great song. It is one of the great pop singles from around this time. Uh, it's so joyous, isn't it? It's just so Absolutely. Like, just, yeah. everyone's involved and the mm. great backing vocals and the message. It's so sassy. And yeah. You kind of, like, this is exactly the kind of songs that Pro Tool came and killed off. That spontaneity, that chattiness. Mm. It's this really weird 
the world of the song is quite weird. Mm. It's like it's designed for radio. It's as if they're the DJs of their own song. You know how they do that? Yeah. It's like they all talk about this on the radio. Yeah. Like, <laughs> which, which is fantastic. Because that was the bit I found a little disingenuous. It's like, yeah, you know this song's going to get played on the radio <laughs> for the very reason you're saying it won't get played. Mm. But that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Look, it's, it's I guess there is, there is that thing with stuff on the radio where there's that fine line where, like, if it's too raunchy, they won't play it. But if it's just raunchy enough, they'll play the shit yeah. out of it. And you've got to be on just on that side of the line. And this song was, it, because... They say, let's talk about sex, but they don't actually talk about sex in the song. They just say that we're, we're talking about sex. They don't actually talk about it in the song. It's not going to tell you anything about that's sex. That's really <laughs> astute. The whole section's about bestiality and fisting and just ignored. But this is the thing. It's, it's actually, it's, as a song, it's got quite a conservative message, relatively. In yeah. So far as yeah. The second verse dealing with the, the woman who slept with doctors, lawyers, men of taste, and it was it was a hollow experience for her. And she had it all in the bag. Yeah. She, could have been she glad. should have been glad. She was sad. <laughs> <laughs> I love the fact that there's a joke in the song, and, like, I know the whole song is kind of tongue-in-cheek and whatever, yeah. but that joke about how many guys you know make love, like, that's yeah. actually... Like someone telling a joke mm. in a song. Yeah. Like, it's just so cool for doing that. Well, the, what I particularly enjoyed was the, the line that the next on her list was the prez. And we're, we're about 12 months away from Clinton. <laughs> he, he, he had gone there. <laughs> Do yeah, it was it was George H. W. Bush at the time, which is a bit weird. I don't think anyone had him on their list, but. Um. So, Salt and Pepper overall, they had, I guess, I clearly remembered five songs mm. by them that were hits at the time. Yeah. And I love them all, which is Push It. Yeah, which is a great song. Yeah. Their cover of You Showed Me. I don't remember that one, so. I remember um, that. No, I remember, I remember that. it, yeah. Um, let's talk about Sex. Shoop. Was Shoop. Then? Yeah. yeah. Okay. And. The song that I actually think might actually trump Let's Talk About Sex for me, which is What A Man. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, let's face it, Shoop and What A Man are both, they're, they're both absolutely brilliant songs and they do trump this song because they're just, like the sassiness is just up that extra little factor that it's got <gasps> more groove than this song. I mean, this song is great. It's a brilliant mm. song, but those songs just kind of get that slight bit better. I, th- I think this song works, a bit, it, it does work at a different level because the main feature of this song for me are the harmonies around the chorus. And there's also that high, high tenor male voice doing the scatting yeah. at some points, which I really, when that comes through on the headphones, I really enjoyed that. So I think that's the main hook of this song, whereas, as you say, the groove of Shoop and What a Man uh, are more the hook there. So it's, it's working on a different plane. Yeah, one of the interesting things about Let's Talk About Sex is that um, it's the inversion of the usual pop rap formula. Usually in pop rap, it's the guys who are doing the rapping and then the girl sings in the chorus. And this song does the opposite. It's um, the girls are rapping during the um, during the verses and then there's guys singing in the chorus. Uh, and I've got to say, um, I'm sorry, but Push It's always going to be a sentimental fave for me. Really? Yeah, oh. absolutely. Okay. And Push It, there was a few years earlier than this, wasn't yeah. it? Push yeah. It was like yeah. 80s, like 88, 89. maybe 89. And, and that, I, I have a lot stronger memory of really genuinely loving um and as much as those other songs you're talking about are, are great i'll just always love push it that da, 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 yeah. da, da, da. oh man what a hook well what a, and the clip i just remember the clip so well 
And a DJ called Spinderella. So <laughs> cool. Yeah. Well, it's so cool. The, the intro was Spinderella picked it up one time. Spinderella yeah. cut it up one time. It's just so, so good. And I was, I was disappointed because the I went and had a look at the clip and the only clip I could find on YouTube was a slightly different mix to the audio file that I found on audio and it didn't have the Spinderella cut it up one time at the start <laughs> and it, it, it bummed me out. It's one of the coolest parts. Is it on audio? Was it on and Spotify and yeah, all this yeah, stuff? Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, definitely on audio, yeah. It's one of those weird things where I was trying to buy Salt and Pepper's Greatest Hits uh-huh. for about five years because it was out of print. Okay. And it's just one of those things where they were on, like, a label that was a subsidiary of another label, subsidiary of another label, and their rights just sort of fell in and out. Their reputation has unjustifiably faded over over time when they should probably be mentioned in the same breath as a lot of those late oh, yeah. 80s, early 90s hip-hop groups. I agree. They, they were pioneers, and there wouldn't be, a like, a TLC or anything like that or without <laughs> those people, which or, might be... Or even, a, or even a, a probably a Destiny's Child or things yeah. like yeah. that. It feeds yeah. into that as well. I totally agree. I mean, Salt and Pepper were, like, they were pre- a pretty feminist kind of uh, group of people. Like, you know, they were talking about... They were sex positive in that kind of way. They mm-hmm. were talking about, like, women standing up for themselves and getting what they wanted out of relationships and all that kind of yeah, stuff. Which which is largely the message of this song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, I think it's something to take into account of the message of this song is the spectre of HIV and AIDS at yeah. the time is so huge and it's also a part of being able to talk about this openly is, yes, it could actually save your life. Did you guys find out about the PSA they did, the public service announcement? Oh, no. They, they did a version of this song of um, Let's Talk About Sex, which was called Let's Talk About AIDS. Oh, God. And they did the whole song where they changed the lyrics. And um, over the chorus, they talked about like how, you know, if you are HIV positive, don't panic. There are treatments. You know, that they, they were talking about that mm. stuff as like, you know, the yeah, backing wow. vocals are going, let's talk okay. about sex, baby, etc. Let's, uh, that's, that's one for the, the blog. Well, Speaking of forgotten and unmentioned. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to song number four for tonight. This song was number one for two weeks on the 22nd of February, 1992. And this is Euphoria with Love You Right. I love the resignment that you, you're even reading that out. You're like, oh, so this is... <sighs> So that was Love You Right by Euphoria. And as Casey rightly points out, I was getting bored just <laughs> announcing the song. Um, <laughs> um, we actually are in an awkward position here where we actually have to talk about Euphoria again next week. So we will say... That have to. Get to. Get to. Get to. Sorry. <laughs> Spoiler alert for episode nine. Uh, we will... 
quickly go around the room and just give our thoughts on this song before we talk about the glory that is Euphoria as a whole. <laughs> Tim Byron, again, why don't we start with you? I don't really remember thinking much about it at the time. I don't think I hated it. I think it was just one of those sort of dance songs that was around and there that was for other people. Like, it, it didn't really do much <laughs> yeah. for me. Like, I, I listen to it now, and I think it's actually pretty good at being as a dance pop single from 1992. I, I think it's it's a much higher class of song than Read My Lips by Melissa. Like, I, I think it um, it works much better. The vocals are way better, and, like, it's got more of a, a beat to it, more of a groove. And so I can see it, I can see why I got to number one. But, yeah, I don't have much to say other than that. <laughs> I just want to see the sticker on the CD single saying better than Tim <laughs> 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 Coyle, what about you? I, I remember the song pretty pretty clearly and I, I don't I wouldn't go as so far as to say that I hated it, but I really felt like I was being shouted at <laughs> a lot of the time. And I think <laughs> this was a little bit of a turning point for me, as Casey talked about with dance music becoming mm. something that wasn't necessarily your cup of tea. This this was kind of, kind of it for me because, yes, it did feel like I was being shouted at a lot of the time when similar songs to this would, would come onto Rage and... Yeah, listening to it this week, it's just, it's very shouty. <laughs> she really does want to love him, right? <laughs> she, she wants to. She wants it's to. A, it doesn't sound euphoric. It sounds hemorrhoidic. <laughs> <laughs> Casey Atkins. Yeah. Um, so I do have a really specific memory of, of actively hating this song. <laughs> <laughs> For the reason that kind of, yeah, like Tim Coyle's alluded to, and like I said when I was talking about I'm Too Sexy, is that I was getting, I was well into playing guitar by this point. I was almost 11, almost 12, and I was becoming quite the purist. And when I say purist, I mean wanker (laughs) about, about like anything with, uh, a kind of electronic or sequenced or programmed drum beat. And I was like, no, that's wrong. That's not real music. That doesn't have a guitar <laughs> in it. It's awful. I was, I was that guy by this point. And so this was like one of the songs that did actively offend me at the time. I guess I could totally relate to someone turning into that person after hearing this song. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and, and, then, and then, you know, now, look, I listened to it this week. It's a, it's a, it's a dance pop single from the nineties that we were about to hear so many more of. Interesting to hear that things like this and, and Melissa were first of these that we heard that were like Australian artists were the first of this kind of thing that we got exposed to. Um, but it just kind of, it is what it is. Quick question for Casey. Um, how do you feel about electronic music now? I'm a lot more open to it. I'm a lot more into, like, I'll, I'll listen to something as a whole now and, like, whether I'll like it or not. But back then and for a long time post, I had just an instant, no, it's a sequence drum beat, I'm out. <laughs> you know, Danny. Um, well, this song actually came on Max a couple of months ago and it would have been the first time I heard this song in maybe 10 years. Yeah. And I remember watching the film clip and just going, oh, hey, there's Simon Baker. <laughs> I, the was, shirt oh, I was waiting for that to come up. Did you? Did you, we all watch the clip this week? Yeah. yeah. I, I did well, not. It was the only way I could hear it because it's not on um, audio, so I had to go to YouTube. Oh, really? Yeah. 
Yeah, but that, I do encourage you go and, and seek out the track because it is hilarious. Uh, the clip is, is incredibly funny. Yeah, it's it's like soft porn. Absolutely. <laughs> it's just it's omnisexual. Like there's oh, yeah. just anything that moves. The, the singer, like like she spends most of her time like wearing a bra, like not a top, just a bra. Suella <laughs> <laughs> Mishki. <laughs> well, I guess I don't really have much else to say other than, yeah, when I heard that song, I also, apart from realising that Simon Baker was reminded about how much I hate this song. <laughs> so, so we're going to move on from Euphoria because we are actually going to talk about them more in next week's podcast, which I'm sure everyone is very excited to hear. Um, but just a few quick things about this song that I just thought were interesting just to, because we're not going to be talking about this song again. One, there's an acapella version. <laughs> <laughs> and if I can find it on well it's not on a streaming service it's on B-Side so let's see if someone's put it up on YouTube or somehow we can find it because I couldn't find it and I think it'll be hilarious the mind boggles indeed two for me is that there is a remix by Two Unlimited <laughs> oh. together at last <laughs> and I guess it's just the last thing for me it's just it's a song called Love You Ride and it's just a Possibly the most unromantic song I've ever heard in my life. And when they say love, they mean love more as the... It, I'm pretty sure it would not have been a number one single if it was called Fuck You Right. It would be even more scary. Yeah, if it, that's, um, it's, it's, not a, it's not a particularly <laughs> sexy song. You've got a woman screaming at you if she wants to fuck you right. Just, just pounding away. Oh, it's some sort of like weird... Euro-erotic prison. So, um, Tim Byron, what did you want to say about this song before we leave it alone? The other thing I wanted to say about this song is, like, if you watch the video clip, like, it's mostly sung by, like, this blonde girl who mostly wears a bra. But the thing about it is that she she was lip-syncing it in the video clip, but she was not the singer. The main singer is, like, basically one of the backing vocalists in the video clip. And, um, and that was a big controversy and probably led to the band, like, breaking up. But we'll get to that next week. Yes, the story of Euphoria, oh, part two. Can't wait for that. that. <laughs> 90%. Yeah, 90% hits has got all of the big news on Euphoria and their story. And their demise. Let's move on to our last song of tonight. This song was number one for four weeks from mm. the 7th of March, 1992. And this is Julian Lennon with Saltwater. We are a rock revolving around a golden sun We are a billion children rolled into one So when I hear about the hole in the sky Salt water wells in my eyes Desert bloom. We're so ingenious we can walk on the moon. But when I hear of how the forests have died, salt water wells in my eyes. I that was salt water by Julian Lennon and. I'm really interested to see how, what everyone feels about this song because this is definitely a song that divides opinions and people have strong opinions about. And as the biggest Beatles fan I know, Casey Atkins is going to ask you to start. Where does Saltwater by Julian Lennon 
It's, if you, it, it's really interesting because my memory of the song is absolutely loving it. I, I, as an eleven-year-old or however old I was, I just loved it so much. I thought it was one of the greatest things I'd ever heard. It was just incredible. Now I liked the Beatles at that stage, and I've listened to some Beatles. I hadn't gone like I didn't go really kind of headfirst and deeply into a Beatles obsession state until I was probably 15 or 16. Um, but as an 11 year old, I thought it was an amazing song. You guys talked last week about uh, some lyrics in the fly by you two, um, really kind of hitting you as like, wow, that's an amazing lyric. And I, and I'm embarrassed to say it, but at the time lyrics in this song did that for me. Like, and I heard, I heard like, why should one baby feel so hungry? She cries. And I was like, Whoa! Like, <laughs> that's amazing. It's like your Bill and Ted moment. Yeah, <laughs> and I was like, "That's so deep, man." And like, I totally want. And I'll, I'll, I'll put it right out there that that's how I felt about this one. I was eleven, and I thought it was, it was amazing. So fast forward twenty years, and listening to it this week, the interesting thing I found was how much I, I guess, realised how little I'd actually heard it since then. I, I haven't heard it much in the last 20 years. Like when we talk about some of the, the other songs, even songs from this week, like the I'm Too Sexies that just show up from time to time, I, I can't really recall this song showing up very much. So listening to it, I had really genuinely kind of fresh ears apart from my memories of it, but I had no concept of the time at just what a ridiculous, unashamed gratuitous blatant pastiche it was <laughs> and I, I like I don't even know what to say about it it's a, apart from the fact that it's just it, it's it's beyond tribute it's beyond homage it's just into almost parody of, of the Beatles and and I looked deeper and I was like so apart from being John Lennon's son like what else is his excuse here like I looked up to see if Jeff Lynn had produced it <laughs> because yeah. I thought that that would be like the only real other excuse for it sounding like this but he didn't did he no yeah no, no. I don't know I guess I didn't didn't actively hate it this this week but found it very very difficult to to take it particularly seriously Tim Byron what about you yeah, I loved this at the time. Um, I remember buying the cast single and I remember that there were B-sides on the cast single and they were like the the other hits he'd had previously, like Now We're in Heaven. It gave me a good education in Julian Lennon and Saltwater mm. was by far the best song on the on that list, apart from maybe Now You're in Heaven, which is okay. Um, but yeah, so I loved it at the time and I think I probably thought it was super deep like Casey did. Um, listening to it now, I like it. But, I mean, I'm a big fan of Beatles pastiches in general. I love, like, um, the sponge tones and the ruttles and I love, um, you know, the red walls and, um, you know, there's all these pastiche Beatles bands that I love and so this is just another one. And, yeah, he, he's Julian Lennon. His dad was a shit to him. You know, yeah. I, I, I think he has the right to sound like the Beatles and make money off it. Yeah, fair Did, But do you think, though, that this has the, the humour in it, that those other Beatles pastiche things that you're talking about? Like, I just find this so ridiculously earnest. Like, listening to this song, the thing I think about it is that this is exactly what John Lennon would sound like in 1991. Like, he would have been writing these same kind of environmental kind of songs. <laughs> he, he probably would have been using producers who would use these kind of sounds. And so, I listen to it and I, I imagine in my head that this is John Lennon doing it. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Tim Coyle, what about you? Uh, as with the other guys, I, I really loved it at the time. And I remember my mum really loved it at the time and 
push that this was a quite important message we should be absorbing mm. with this song. Uh, my parents were pretty into environmental issues, so this was this was something that was pushed across to us. And uh, listening to it now, it, it's funny on a couple of levels, and I'll bring back a couple of the things that the other guys have spoken about is uh, initially whenever Julian Lennon is mentioned to me, my first instinctive free associative reaction is that poor guy. It's simply because of his, his history, the way John initially treated him and everything that's kind of come of that and trying to build a music musical career in the shadow of John Lennon is an extraordinarily difficult thing. And I remember Now You're in Heaven being released at the time. He had the, he had the talking dummy in the film yes. clip in front of the red curtain, but also Too Late for Goodbyes before that, which I think is a great song. Yes, I did. And, yeah, I think this is, this is not so much of a great song. <laughs> it's, <laughs> I, I think a lot of those things that as uh, – I would have been still 10 at that stage. That seemed quite deep and insightful, uh, very much not so when you listen to them uh, as an adult. And one line I think is is interesting is that I have lived for love and now it's not enough insofar as he sounds so much like John Lennon saying that, which is the same guy who sang Love Is All You Need. And that's a little bit of an eerie callback, which which works at some level. But the rest of it is, yeah, it's a little inspired. Yeah, I think there's not, not going to get much disagreement for me compared to what everyone else has said. It is a song that um, I really enjoyed as a kid. I remember thinking it was, yeah, quite deep and quite interesting and we are the world revolving around the sun and mm. we are a million children rolled into one. It's like... Whoa. Holy yeah. crap, man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm probably the least Beatles fan out of all of us and just I kind of feel the same way sometimes when I listen to All You Need Is Love, all those sort of when the Beatles got a bit too jingoistic and it just it's totally trying to be that. Like it's just platitude after platitude. Yeah. And it's, it's as good or as bad as that. And, yeah, it's just I think it's just a thing where I know there's a couple of Springsteen fans here and the thing that Springsteen says about – Born to Run and Thunder Road, which is at some point he just needed to start writing songs about adults and stop writing, you know, and just grow up. And this is definitely a song that hasn't done that. Yeah. You know, and we're just older and these sort of songs are still around. These these sort of... Uh, well, they're still on the charts as well yeah. and they still resonate with, with young people. But I guess I'm with Tim Byron in that. I do quite like some of the construction of it. It's really quite a pretty song. Look, for me, this is just Jealous Guy without... Any of the awesome. The thing is, I think this song is pretty well constructed, like as a song, like it it does everything it needs to do. I think the the main thing that makes it hard to listen to now is the production, which is very kind of like, it's a very wet kind of production that like it hasn't lasted in the same kind of way. Like it doesn't have the kind of interesting things in the in the arrangement that it should. But I think as a song, it's a really well-constructed song. So I, I am obviously disagreeing on this song with you guys to quite a bit. <laughs> no, you're not allowed to disagree. We need to think the same thing about All of us need to think the same thing about every song. What did we all think about the Beatles in 92? Where were you all? Like, did you know about the Beatles? Did, had you listened to them at this point? I definitely had. I was fascinated with the Beatles by this point, and that was a big selling point of Julian Lennon is that, yeah, he was, he was John Lennon's son. My parents had 
a lot of a lot of Beatles tapes hanging out at, at our house. I, I particularly love the the early stuff. At this stage, the the straight up pop song and just anything about them, I, I shoot up. Casey, I oh, well, I think I kind of said my my piece before, so I didn't go into fully fledged Beatle obsession until I was about fifteen or sixteen. But still, even at this stage, I guess similar to you, Tim, I it was maybe the earlier stuff that spoke to me a little bit more um, at, at this point. So it was more about the you know those red and blue um, mm. best of compilations. So it, I was at, still at the red stage <laughs> at this point, but <laughs> but but loving it, you know. Uh, I'm, I'm, it's 2013. I think I'm still in the red stage. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I probably would have only ever heard yesterday at this point. And the radio didn't really play the Beatles and the stations I was listening to. I think I learned yesterday in school, maybe Yellow Submarine in school or whatever, but yeah. I, don't, I would have known it was the Beatles. I would have made a connection or anything like that. So. I mean, Yellow Submarine was another back of the bus song, even at that stage. Wow, yeah, that yeah. bus is awesome. Yeah, I know. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Tim Byron, what about you? One of the first things I ever remember listening to is like the um, a tape that I had of an early Beatles best of that had like some of the early kind of, you know, first couple of years, the Beatles stuff on it. So I listened to that a lot and I had another tape of... Um, of the help soundtrack. Oh, cool. And so I, I listened to those ones a lot. Um, and maybe this was one mm-hmm. of the songs that got me interested in the Beatles. So maybe it was one of the good things at the time, but yeah, but by then I kind of knew the early Beatles stuff, but I don't think I really knew like much of the, the latest stuff that Saltwater actually sounds like. And so it's interesting in that way, maybe that Saltwater was one of my first sort of exposures to that. So I sort of like it a bit more as a result of that, because it's <laughs> Well, that brings us to the end of another podcast. And, um, <laughs> but as usual, we're going to end this podcast with going around the room and picking out our favorite songs from the five that we've talked about tonight. So, just to um, recap, we had Right Said Fred with I'm Too Sexy, Michael Jackson with Black or White, Salt and Pepper with Let's Talk About Sex, Euphoria with Love You Right. And Julian Lennon with Saltwater. Tim Byron, why don't you start? I've got three songs here that I'm kind of trying to figure out between, which are um, "Let's Talk About Sex," "Black and White," and "Black or White," and um, "Saltwater." And I think I'm going to go for "Let's Talk About Sex." I think that's the one that like I feel that has the best sort of feeling in my head about it. Tim Coyle, what about you? Uh, "Black or White" for me. Casey Atkins. <sighs> toss up as well. Yeah, toss up between "Black or White" and um, and "Let's Talk About Sex." Let's talk about sex. I'm going to make the same decision between those two as well. Let's talk about sex. It's just such a... I just love that song. Well, that wraps it up for another episode of 90% Hits. Casey, why don't you let people know where we can find us on the internet? Absolutely. Um, So find us on Twitter. We are uh, 90% Hits uh, with percent spelled out in words on Twitter. You can also email us 90%hits at gmail.com. We have a uh, blog as well, which is 90%hits.tumblr.com. Um, on the blog, you'll find lots of info, all of the clips of all the songs we talk about, plus all of, I mean, some other clips from, you know, other songs with the bands we talk about. There's, we talk about number twos at the time as well. So there's a lot going on on the blog as well. So, um, yeah, check it out. Send us an email. Um, we've started getting a few uh, emails and some responses through, which is great as well. So keep them coming. Uh, and of course, most of you have probably found us on iTunes and it would be great if you guys could uh, I'll leave, a review. A, leave a review Please. or give us a rating because it helps us um, become more visible on iTunes. 
So thank you for listening. Uh, feedback helps. <laughs> yes, feedback helps. Uh, thank you for listening, we'll, and next week you can come back and join us for the Euphoria story. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. Not everything's singing, you know. The only important thing these days is. Too sexy. Too sexy for my love. Loves going to And that was right said Fred with I'm too sexy. Mm-hmm. What I what I was just thinking as you were saying that was can you do another mm-hmm. end to that one saying, Well I think now we're a bit too sexy for that song, so let's move on. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I think we just found our Easter egg for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.